This morning's scripture reading is from uh, Philippians 2, verses 12 to 18. Philippians 2, 12 to 18. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like, the, like stars in the universe. As you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So far the word of God. Shine like stars. As I studied the scripture, as I prepared this message, I wondered what Paul might mean by shine like stars. What is he trying to sell the Philippian people? And what, what words, or what, what do these words have to offer to us today? So I thought at first how I might use these words. What, I, what might I try to say if I were to tell somebody to shine like a star? The first thing I thought about was my children. You know, whether it's a sporting event, a musical performance, or something that they have to do in front of people at school, that I might, tell, I might want to encourage them to do their best, to, to give their best, to try their hardest. And so I might say something like, shine like a star. But I think our, our modern culture has a little bit of a different understanding of what it might mean to shine like a star. Rather than do your best, we seem to be saying, do better than everyone else. Stand out. Be the one. Be the attention. Be the focal point. If we look at the Hollywood Walk of Fame with the stars embedded in the concrete, we see more of that message where people are celebrated, their accomplishments are celebrated for standing out, for being better than anyone else in their, their field, in the, the things that they do. Even that word celebrity has the same root as celestial or as the stars. The idea is that they stand out for some reason. And we've even got to the point that people are celebrities and we don't know why. They seem to shine like a star, but we can't even tell you what they're good at. Can't help but think this isn't what Paul meant when he says shine like a star. So what is a star? The way it's understood in Scripture, a star is a minor light in the nighttime sky. If you think about it, think about Wayne's example of going outside in Idaho when he camped and looking up at the sky. Now, I haven't been to Idaho, but I can imagine that it's not just the one star shining out at night that, that is a glorious thing. It's the, the light of the many stars shining together. 
when we look at the role of stars in Scripture, we also see, see a different picture. As we study where, where the stars are mentioned, what their role is, what purpose they play, we can understand a little bit more of what Paul says when he says, shine like a star. The first example we find is in Genesis 1, 14 through 18. There we read, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. Let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth and to govern the day and night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So here, when Moses writes about the stars, it's almost an afterthought. It's almost as if he's saying, God created the sun and the moon. Oh, and he also created the stars. They're kind of, they're insignificant in this passage. But what, what's pointed to, what Moses wants us to understand is that it is God who put them in their place. It is God who is in control. God's the one with the power. God's the one who gives the stars their light. In Job 9, we can read about the stars as well. Verses 7 through 9 say, He, that is God, speaks to the sun and it does not shine. He seals off the light of the stars. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He is the maker of the bear and Orion, the Pleiades and the constellations of the south. So again, the purpose of the stars here is to point to God, the one who put them there. Here the author of Job mentions the names of different constellations as if, they were, as if they were the deities that the people worshipped at that time. Because people looked at the constellations and they thought this is a window to God, the window to the divine. And so they worshipped them and the writer of Job is saying, no, no, like you know that those things are in the sky, these constellations, these stars. But it's God that put them there. It's God who has power. In Psalm 136, we read about the stars too. There we read, Give thanks to the Lord, for the Lord is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him alone who does great wonders, his love endures forever. It is God who by his understanding made the heavens and the earth. He spread out the earth upon the waters, and he made the great lights, the sun to govern the day and the moon and the stars to govern the night, and his love endures forever. So again, it's it's God who put the sun, the moon, and the stars in their place. And in doing so, it was an act of love. God is shining his light on his people through these constellations, through the sun, through the moon, through these greater and lesser lights. They are meant to shine his glory, not their own. If you think about Joseph's dream, the one where the sun and the moon and the other stars bow down to his star, what was really so shocking for his brothers and for his parents were that the sun and the moon would bow down to a single star. 
Stars did not have significance of their own. They shone the light of God. They shone to shine God's power, God's light, not their own. You see, the sun, the moon, and the stars, they had significance. They were worshipped by other peoples. So when Moses in Genesis writes about a greater light and a lesser light without naming the sun or the moon, it's as if he's saying, I'm not going to name the gods that aren't real. I'm not going to name the gods that the people worship. Because they are not gods. They are just the sun and the moon. And so he says it's a greater light and a lesser light. And the light that they shine is the light of God. People understood that the stars, the sun, and the moon were windows to the divine. And this too is not what Paul had in mind. So what then does he have in mind? What might he be saying when he says, shine like a star? I think if we look to the commands that he gives in this passage, we can get a bit of a clue. There are three things that he commands the people of uh, Philippi, the Philippians, to do. The first thing he says is to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. A little later, he commands them, he says, do everything without grumbling or complaining. And finally, at the end of our passage, he says, be glad and rejoice with me. So if we understand these three commands, we can understand a little bit about what it means to shine like a star. As I read these three commands, I almost thought, it's as if Paul's saying, this is what you do. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And this is how you do it. Do everything without grumbling and complaining. And when you do that, this is what will happen. You can be glad and you will rejoice with me. So let's look at that first command. Do everything without, or continue to work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. Now, if you turn back to Philippians 1, Paul knows that we can't work out our own salvation. We can't save ourselves. In 1 verse 6, he says, Christ began the good work in you. It's not up to the Philippian people, and it's not up to us. It's up to Jesus beginning his work through his Holy Spirit in our hearts. And in verse 12, he says, righteousness comes from Christ alone, from Jesus alone. Again, it's not up to us. We can't save ourselves. It's up to Jesus alone. So I think when he says, work out your salvation, what he's saying is, try to understand what it means to be saved. The work has been done. The saving work has been done. But your work is to understand what that means and how to live as a result of that. Which brings us to the second command. Do everything without grumbling or complaining. Now, a note here, in Greek, word order is significant. If you were to read the Greek text or to translate it literally, it wouldn't say do everything without grumbling or complaining. It would say everything do without grumbling or complaining. And in English, we say that doesn't make sense, but Greek, uh, the Greek language works a little bit differently. And the reason they would say it that way is what you put at the beginning of the sentence is the most important. It's like putting an exclamation mark or brackets or quote quotations around what you really want to say. Like, so Paul's emphasizing here, everything do without grumbling or complaining. He's saying, all that you do matters. 
You know, those seemingly insignificant, those little things that, that we do that we think nobody's paying attention, that nobody notices? Those things matter. And then immediately he points to grumbling and complaining. He's making a point here. Our attitude, how we carry ourselves, how we talk to each other, how we talk to our neighbors, how we interact. Those things matter because when we grumble and complain, we're saying something about the light of Christ that is in us. He's saying don't grumble and complain. Live at peace with one another. Celebrate each other. Be the community of God, shining his light. And then the end result. Be glad and rejoice with me. This is what comes when we don't grumble, when we don't complain, when we live at peace and at communion and fellowship with one another. We begin to rejoice. We begin to celebrate that light of Christ that is in us. In Wayne's example, he mentioned the, the nighttime sky in Idaho. This past summer, uh, my family had a similar experience. Now, we live in West Michigan, surrounded by a lot of big cities, a lot of light pollution. We're also from southern Ontario, where there's, an, again, a lot of light pollution. My family enjoys camping. We love getting out away from the busyness of life. And last summer, we had the opportunity to travel from southern Ontario through Michigan and up to uh, Duluth, uh, Duluth, Minnesota, which is at the end of uh, Lake Superior. It's probably about a third of the way here if you're driving from Ontario. And when we got to northern Michigan, got up to the Upper Peninsula on the shores of Lake Superior, sorry, on the shores of Lake Superior, where there's very little light pollution, we took time to get outside after the sun had gone down when it was dark at night. And that nighttime sky is, I'm sure, the same as what Wayne and his family look at in Idaho. Or what you might see if you're to get away from Lacombe and go towards the mountains where there are few cities and a lot less light pollution. Now, we didn't see shooting stars those nights, but, but that's, that's part of the glory that's to be held. And the glory that we behold when we look at those stars is, again, it's not one star. It's not even two, three, four, or a handful of stars. But it is the millions upon millions of stars that light up the nighttime sky. And they shine the glory of God, each contributing to the whole scene, to the whole nighttime sky, each shining their own light. A friend of mine shared a story, something that happened with him and his daughter, where she was afraid of the dark, and his solution was to pick up some of those little plastic glow-in-the-dark stars. You know the ones that you stick on your ceiling? And for his daughter, it was just enough to break up the, night, the, the darkness of, her night, of the night in her room. And so they went, they picked up this package of stars, and they hur- hurriedly came back, and they got home, and they ripped open this package of stars. And they immediately started sticking them on her ceiling, and she was so excited. It was just, it was going to be the greatest thing for this young child. And then they waited. And as it got darker outside, they closed the curtains in her room. And they waited for that moment when it was just dark enough that they could flip off the light and that these stars would light up her room. 
And in that moment, they excitedly reached for the light switch. She flipped it down, looked up, and nothing happened. You can imagine the great disappointment of a three- or four-year-old girl as she's waiting, awaiting the light of the stars to shine. And my friend turns to the package, and he reads the package, and, and he realizes he made a crucial mistake. You see, unlike the nighttime stars, these little plastic stars have no light of their own. The light that they give off into the darkness is the light that they receive as they sit in direct sunlight. They need to sit in that sunlight to absorb the light of the sun so they can give off that light at night. And I'm sure Paul didn't have these plastic stars in that time when he wrote Shine Like Stars to the Philippian people. But I think if, if he did or if he thought of this image, this would be what he was talking about. Because he knows that the light that we have in us is not our own. He knows that the light that we shine when we don't grumble, when we don't complain, when we live at peace with one another, he knows that that light comes from the Holy Spirit of God living in our hearts. When Paul tells us to shine like stars, he says, Christ began a good work in you. And now understand what that good work is bringing about. As you live at peace, as you live as a community with one another, understand that that light that you shine comes from God and he intends it to bring light to this dark world. In old times, people understood that the stars were a window to the divine. They understood that if they were to worship the stars, they would be worshiping the gods of the nighttime sky. Now, they did have something wrong. You cannot worship the stars. We worship God alone. But in one sense, they did have it right that the stars were, in fact, a window to the divine. And what I mean by that is, people of God, we are the window to the divine. We are Christ's light to this dark world. As we shine our light, as we live at peace with one another, as we seek to do his will in the communities in which we live, When we shine that light, people will look at us as if they are looking at that nighttime sky. And it may take time, but they'll begin to say, Wow, God, you are real. Because these people make that difference. These people shine your light. But it's when we work together, when we follow Christ's example, and when we live as humble and uncomplaining people, that we are able to do this, that we are able to shine the light of Christ, or that God is able to shine that light through us. This is when we bring his light to the nations. In Genesis 12, God speaks to Abraham. He says to him, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. And then he promises Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all people on earth will be blessed through you. And then as he makes his covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15, God takes Abraham outside and he says, look up at the heavens. And count the stars, if indeed you can count them. 
And he, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now this promise to Abraham, this covenant that God makes with Abraham, is part of the old covenant, but through baptism we understand we're part of the new covenant that is one and the same with this old covenant. And within this, we are commanded to shine Christ's light. We understand that we are like that nighttime sky that Abraham looked up at. The nighttime sky you see in Idaho or northern Michigan or near the mountains where we're away from the city. And in shining that light, we shine Christ's light to the nations. Now with Paul's third command, be glad and rejoice with me. To understand this third command, you have to understand Paul's context. When he wrote the letter to the Philippians, he was actually in, he was in prison in Rome awaiting trial. Now some think that Paul was released and that he, he faced his death later. Uh, others think that he never got out of prison, and we don't know. But we, what we do know is that Paul was in prison and he did not know that he was getting out. He very well was willing and able to die in the name of his faith in prison as he was writing this letter. And yet he can say to the Philippian people, rejoice and be glad as I rejoice and as I am glad. You see, to him it didn't matter if he died in prison. What did matter was that the Philippian people were shining like stars and in living in ways that others would see Christ's light through him. And what mattered is that, or what matters is that we, too, will shine like stars. That we will shine Christ's light that he has placed in us. We will be his people, living in fellowship and communion with one another. So that the world outside of us, the darkness in the, the, the dark world that surrounds us, will see the light of God through us. This is what we are called to do, people of God. So let's do this together. Amen. Let's join together in singing our hymn of response, Be Thou My Vision. And it's number 859 from the Lift Up Your Hearts hymnal.